Today on the Science and Spirituality Podcast, we had a guest, his name, Madhuri Puradasa. And we're not 100% sure if that's exactly how to pronounce it, because he goes by Madhu. So Madhu is an internationally recognized holistic health and lifestyle coach. He lived and trained for a half a decade as a monk in the Bhakti Yoga tradition. During these years, he was based in various monasteries in the United States and India, where he studied Vedic arts and sciences under renowned teachers. He traveled extensively, sharing spiritual knowledge and inspiration with communities of seekers on five different continents. He now works primarily with busy entrepreneurs and professionals. He utilizes a unique monk mindset method to help them overcome chronic fatigue, optimize their focus, and two times their productivity and income by learning. So yeah, and I created a conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was very surprised by how like relatable he was. Like I was, I came into this conversation, not really knowing like who this person was or, you know, studying with monks for a while. I thought he might be like quiet and reserved, but he was very like relatable and personable. And like Kev, I was telling you, like, I feel like we could have been friends with him. Yeah. And, like I wanted to continue the conversation after we were done. Definitely. Yeah. It's very down to earth, which I was also really thrilled to hear because when we got into his monk mindset method that he's developed is super straightforward. Like mm-hmm. super simple, but you know, there's difficulty of course, in applying it because like the three main steps that we covered, is like not something that most people even think of doing, but it is really simple and easy to do. So yeah, you know, I think if you're going to listen to this and really get into his monk mindset method, then, um, they could be really transformational for you. Yeah. And I think one of the things he focused on a lot as well, which really hit home with me is, is focusing on action and actually doing something about the things that you're, you're, you say you want to do mm-hmm. because like without action, like meeting, you know, what you're thinking about with action, nothing's actually going to change. Right. And so that was like a really big thing that he hit on as well, but it was like very simple. Yep. And so like, if you're listening to this episode, like grab a pen and paper and like really just take some good notes on, you know, his, his method and how it relates to a lot of the things that we've talked about in this podcast as well, just in like a different light and how they, you know, correlate really together. And I think you, you're going to get a lot out of this. Definitely. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the science and spirituality podcast, where we dive deep into universal spiritual principles and ground them in modern science. My name is Chris Carton. And my name is Kevin Carton, and we are committed to simplifying the spiritual side of success for you with easy to understand scientific research so you can walk away with practical tools to create radical transformations in your life. Let's get started. So welcome to another episode of the Science and Spirituality podcast. We have an incredible guest here today with us. And I'm saying that because I really feel that you're an incredible guest before just the few minutes we had conversing before hitting record. So, uh, Madhu, welcome to the podcast. I feel very welcome. Thanks for your kind words. Of course. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, we don't disappoint now, now that we have the, uh, (laughs) (laughs) definitely, (laughs) I don't think so. So let's get into it. So we'd love to hear your story of your journey to be where you are today, especially sure. You'll share a bit about your journey as a monk. So I'd love to hear your journey in this life so far and how you got to where you are today and doing the work that you do. Sure. I'll give you, I'll give you the bite size and then we can expand on any point that might be exciting, but uh, really I'll start where the fun happened, where I was uh, just a weird kid, blah, blah, blah. And then up until I was, I was still a weird adult now, but um, when I was 16 years old, my father uh, offered me a hundred dollars 
to read a book called the Bhagavad Gita, which is really one of the world's oldest philosophical and theological texts. And I'd been studying philosophy and theology in school, not really interested in anything else I had to school, to be honest, but a little bit of math, but mostly just math and philosophy. And, uh, but I, I, I wasn't familiar with the ancient yoga or Vedic uh, texts like the Bhagavad Gita. And when I was 16, I was like, I could really use that hundred dollars. That would practically make me wealthy. And so I read it and it, it completely changed my mind. It actually, it actually, things all of a sudden uh, went, oh, 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 Th- that's why the world is this way. That's why I'm this way. It was just, it was like an epiphany after epiphany. And even the first time I went through, I mean, maybe 80% of it went one ear and out the other. But this 20% that stuck, I was like, wow, this stuff is cool. And that really opened me up to what really wanting to understand some ancient concepts that have been taught. And I always like the idea of things that people have been doing for many thousands and thousands of years that people say works. You know, we're, we're also where there's no, uh, I'm a big fan of no side effects. It's like, you know, yes. You know, some of the commercials, it's like side effects may include a oh, heart attack and death. Uh-huh. And I'm like, ah, okay. You know, but it's like practicing this ancient yoga practice. Minimal side effects is you might uh, become a little disinterested in what material life has to offer you. But other than that, I was kind of interested in that side effect. So anyway, uh, I started studying and then practicing the different meditations uh, from the ancient yoga perspective, specifically from bhakti yoga, which maybe we can get into. Ultimately, yoga of love and devotion. It's a type of spiritual yoga. And on my uh, 18th birthday, I shaved my head and moved into a monastery because it would let me move in when I was 17 as a minor. The liability. And so on my 18th birthday, I said, all right, just see. And I, I moved in. And then uh, I lived six months of the year in different monasteries throughout the West, mostly in the US and Canada. And then uh, six months of the year in India and different monasteries traveling and then back and forth like that for about a half a decade. And then I graduated the monastery and became a normal person. See, see my hair? Yes. Regular haircut. <laughs> now, now, I'm, now I'm normal again. Yeah. yeah. And then really the main thing after that was just to uh, try to teach others what I learned living in the monastery so they don't have to shave their head and wake up at 3.30 in the morning and meditate for five hours like we did. Mm-hmm. But really how to how to take the essence um, in their normal lives, people who have families, jobs, and responsibilities, and how to start to integrate these principles in a way to make it easy. And that's what we spent the last little over half a decade doing now. Amazing. It's an incredible journey. And it's it, fun. I'll do yeah. that. I bet. And there's two things that you share that um, I really resonate with because in my story, I was uh, ri- originally in school to get my doctorate in pharmacy. Okay. And so you mentioning side effects. That was actually, well, not that it was like, oh, just the side effects. But I knew that after about three and a half, four years in that schooling, like started to become more aware and realize, oh, what I'm doing and what I'm providing in terms of medication is not really helping people. It's actually making them worse or at the very least or most, I mean, keeping them out of very like uh, normal like mitigating symptoms. So that like changed my life. And then it was around 2021 that I left that career path, went on a different track. Sounds like you're around the same age, like that we had a very similar, like in terms of like journey of like doing something completely different than most people would do at that age. So that's incredible. Definitely not what people do in their twenties, typically. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. What, uh, what was your thought process to decide to just go like all in and 
shave your head and go to a monastery, like after reading and studying a little bit, because, you know, some people start to just dabble their feet in a little bit and they'll maybe like get some more books, maybe take a yoga instructor's class to become a yoga instructor. But it sounded like you just dove right in. What was like the thought process around that? Yeah. Well, my answer is maybe a little counterintuitive, but it's, I'm extremely lazy. I'm like proud about it. I'm like super proud about how lazy I am because I think it's why, why I tend to be quite efficient in certain things that I do figure out that, you know, the, sh- the shortest path <laughs> to take. And I mean, I did, I, I should say, I did study for some time from the time I was 16 for about a year and a half. It was about a year of like, just every day starting to dive into this ancient um, yoga literature, bhakti literature. And I mean, at that point, I was also studying mostly Eastern traditions because I studied Abrahamic philosophy. That's really what was available. A little bit of, you know, ancient Greek philosophy as well. But um, I started studying Eastern philosophy from the Northern Orient to the Southern Orient. And, um, and what attracted me the most was the, the Vedic or the really comes out of the greater Indian uh, subcontinent. And after reading all that literature, when it was about 17 and a half, that's when I was like, I need to do this. They wouldn't let me in. They were like, you're a minor, but you know, just keep, keep up for another six months or so. And actually it was great. One of the senior monks said, I don't think you could do it kind of um, teasing me in, in, in a positive way is to encourage me. Like, I don't think you could do it. Like we wake up really early. We do a whole thing. You know, we serve all day. It's like, I'll show you. And so every day I tracked, I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning. And this is, I was in college at this point. Um, I graduated high school when I was 16. Again, cause I was lazy. I was like, what's the least amount of and then uh, and then in college as before my class i would wake up and i would track and i would send see i'm doing i'm doing the hours you see i'm ready and so i did have some preparation if you will and i got to try it on from the luxury of my own bedroom in my parents house and uh but what happened was i realized that this world is it's quite a precarious place to be actually and if if you can't if you can't teach the mind how to become your best friend and cooperate, then really it's it's, a, it's already a dangerous place, but it becomes a scary, dangerous place at that point. And after understanding the philosophy well enough, I, I knew that if I didn't take a little bit of time to actually allow the mind to become my best friend and learn how to cooperate with the direction I want to go in my life, that everything would take way longer and it'd be so much harder. I also didn't want the responsibility having to deal with relationships. I was like high school relationships. I was like, oh my God, what a headache. I could use a couple of years of celibacy just to like clear my head. And so it, it just made sense. It seemed like, okay, everyone else is going to school to learn some of the basics. I don't want to go. To, I was going to college for, you'll never guess, but uh, construction management, architecture. Wow. <laughs> double major. And then um, occupational therapy. Anyway, don't ask me. And I did that only for three semesters until like two and a half on my 18th birthday two weeks left. And I was like, nope, not finishing. Anyway. And uh, so like that, I started to uh, get familiar with the practices that would actually make my life easier over time. Everyone else was going to school to learn for a couple of years. I was like, I don't, I know I don't want to do that. I know I do want to do this. And while I can, let's just knock it out. Let's just do a little bit of sacrifice now for a lifelong um, practice of satisfaction. Amazing. Well, let's get into it then. Cause, uh, of what we want to talk about. And we're here from you of like this monk mindset method that you developed. I'm, I'm sure that many of the things that you teach and share here in this is probably from what you've learned over your journey. So tell us, I'd love to hear just like, what do you, what does it mean to you of like this monk mindset method? I think you were speaking to a bit before of like 
this is just my own perception, maybe that helping people who have like busy lives and make it easy for them. So yeah, tell us about it a bit. Well, the way I like to put it in terms of the monk mindset method is if you could simply fall in love with the consistent practices that will inevitably get you to your goals in life, then your biggest dreams, then your life, then the dreams that you have in this life will be easy to attain. Let me say that a little bit more concisely. Go for it. If you can fall in love with the consistent practices that will inevitably get you to your goals, then it will be easy to attain the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, how does one actually do that? Because a goal, a goal isn't just a goal. It's actually a series of habits that leads one to a particular result. Many goals of which most people want are, aren't goals to be achieved once. They're actually goals of consistency, things that we want to fall in love with or do on a regular daily basis that's going to allow a consistent result for the rest of our life. An example might be exercise. It's not like you, you, one might put barriers like, okay, this is the next step. And then this is the next step. You know, first I want to, let's get to 20% body fat. Let's get to 18%, whatever the case might be. You could put milestones, which is helpful and important, but the goal actually is to exercise for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And until one can actually fall in love with the practice that's going to get them the result of the exercise, which ultimately whatever it is, maybe more strength or more endurance or more, whatever it is. Uh, according to one's individual goals. You cannot achieve that goal practically or sustainably until you've actually uh, fallen in love with the practice, which really means discipline. That's scary, scary. Mm-hmm. That no one in the world really likes uh, so much is how to fall in love with the discipline that's going to get you the result. Mm-hmm. Because if you could fall in love with that practice, oh my God, then the, the, the goal is inevitable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, this is just what I do. And it's like, you know, it's just a matter of time now. You just watch the map as, as you crush your goals consistently. So ultimately, that's what we're talking about with the monk mindset method is how to fall in love with those types of practices. Now, it's very individualized at that point because every individual has different goals and different plans. Um, and so typically, we like to start with one's values and understanding your values because most values are borrowed. They're, most values in life... We, we learned them from a book or we seen them in a movie or we heard them from our parents or a teacher growing up. We just said, okay, that's, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not trained from a young age how to scrutinize our value system because you might have consistent practices and you know stick with them and be in integrity with your values, but your values suck. An example might be, I don't know. You guys mind if I get a little risky, risque? I'm just kidding. <laughs> why not? Uh, right. Why not? I don't mind. I speak a little frankly, but uh, it's it's like take someone who takes someone who is like jihad and believes that like their set of values is actually let me go hurt, hurt and even kill a bunch of people in the name of like my religion. Well, they have a lot of integrity. It's impressive, isn't it? Like they're consistent, man. Those guys, those guys are like beyond militant. It's impressive, right? Problem, bad set of values. That's the problem. They're in integrity. So it's like, you could be in integrity, you could be consistent, but if you're being consistent with something that's actually antagonistic to your real vision, to your real goals in life. There's no point then. Yeah. Amen. 
And so you always got to look back to the, the values and there's, there's ways to scrutinize that. And, and there's ways to go through it. And really the simplest way is you encourage everyone to do this at some point in your life is you just grab a little piece of paper and a pen, a little notepad. It doesn't really matter where you do it, but you write down actually, what is it that you value in life? And just make a list of like, what is it that you actually value in life? Once you've done that, prioritize them. Prioritize them. Say like, what's the most, what do I value the most? And an example is you just compare it. It's like, which of these two would I actually appreciate more or would take precedence? You, just, you prioritize them. And then once you do that, you go through and you uh, almost threadbare. You consider not only where it came from is the first step, like where did I learn this value? Mm. But then you, after identifying where the value comes from, ask yourself, is this something that's actually true to me? Is this something I actually want or something I should want? Because do not should on yourselves is yes. really not helpful. Yeah. All, the t- all you know, all the time we're learning how to should all over ourselves and each other. Don't should on yourself. It's not going to be helpful. You're just going to cause eventually cognitive dissonance or dissatisfaction or some other weird variant of the mind. And so identify your values first, and then we can always go to the second step, which we can get into at some point. But th- does that make sense in terms of where, where to start? A hundred percent. And actually, I'd love to hear just a little bit more, like digging deeper into identifying like what are those values that were learned and are actually not yours. Cause I think you hit the nail on the head is that you do have to question it. Is there anything else that you found effective to help recognize when a value is not yours, that it's been learned? Sure. Well, I'll start with one that's maybe very common or very, most people you'll meet will have, uh, let's say a value of Family, like fidelity to family. Not that everyone feels this, but it, it, it's it's definitely a cultural norm in every society in the world. It's like you have fidelity and loyalty to family. Now, before we even talk about whether something's right or wrong, we first want to just understand where does that come from? Because some people who don't have that will probably have an experience in their life that family sucks. I could never count on my family. They didn't trust me. I didn't trust them. They always betrayed me. Therefore, family doesn't matter much. Blood doesn't go. What is it? What is it? Blood, blood doesn't run that. What's well, bigger than water or something? Blood. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's this idea like, ah, no, like my friends, my real family, whatever the case might be. Whereas someone who had a great experience with the family, like, yes, family is important. It's fidelity. And so you, you want to start to understand, okay, where does that come from? Okay. There's a cultural aspect. There's also a conditioned aspect. Like my conditioning means my experience, what I perceived through my limited senses. I qualify by saying limited because the senses only can only help to a certain extent. I mean, you can't even see the closest thing to your eyes for your whole life. You'll never, right. see, you'll never see the back of your eyelids. It's a bummer. Closest thing in your eyes, never be able to see them because of how limited they are. Or, you know, in a dark room, you can't even see your hand. The senses are quite limited, but what you've collected from the five senses creates a particular pattern of information conditioning. And so therefore your conditioned experience is also something that allowed you fidelity to your family. You've, you've seen it. Yeah. They're good to me. I'd be good to them. It's a good, uh, cor- you know, corroborative effort, if you will. So you like this, you start to identify, okay, what are the values? And then you say, ask yourself, is this actually something that's really important to me? Now, this is where philosophy comes in handy and understanding the nature of the self, which I'll just briefly poke in on. And no matter what angle you look at it, there's really two options in life. One option is that you are a real entity. 
you are a real spark of, of consciousness. Consciousness means you're actually perceiving things and you have an individual experience in your life and everything you're perceiving is to some extent or another real because you are seeing and experiencing it. And therefore, well, that's acceptable no matter where you look at it. Everyone's, there's, there's some form of consciousness. I think therefore I am. But the, there's two directions to take it from there. One is that because I'm conscious now, it only makes sense that I'm forever conscious and cognizant. And therefore, I am an eternal self or a soul. There, there's no beginning and there's no end. And because my experience, as I've always been able to see it, has been consistent, it makes sense that even at the end of this life, myself, my soul, my real self, beyond this matter, beyond this biological robot or meat suit, however you want to look at it, the human body, which is constantly changing, but the real you is staying the same. That same you, let's say the same, even though the body changed, is going to going to uh, perpetuate past the body. The other option is that at the end of this life, nothing happens, but it's called philosophical suicide. You don't know either way. So better to choose the, if you don't know either way, better to be hopeful, choose the better option, the hopeful option. And so if that's the case, then we use a little philosophy to identify if it's something important, if family is important to us. And then we say, okay, in this life, will my survival rate improve if I have fidelity to family? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent of mammals, Aquatics do that. I don't know. Some some separate, but to some extent, family packed it makes us stronger. Unless, even though we're ape, uh, apex predators, we're the most like fragile. Like yes. any animal could easily kill us. Even though we we're only the apex because of this cool frontal cortex thing we got here, which allows us like actually protect ourselves. But face to face with an animal, like a raccoon, you're done. You ever seen a raccoon, <laughs> Zach? <laughs> you're done you're like you're crying it's like i'm crying at least and so yeah. the idea is family is important for the sake of longevity and safety and like this you can start to see what is important but to an ultimate sense there's a limit there's a limit like at the end of this life family will potentially be broken apart maybe you forever stay around the same souls Forever, that's possible, but maybe not. So therefore, it's like it's high in the values, but maybe not the highest. Maybe there's a value higher than that. An example might be um like a, a religion. Sure. Let's take that. It might one. be higher than that, considering yeah, let's, let's, let's go on. Take, yeah, please. No, I was gonna say because it feels like a, a religion, it's like kind of gives you that hope and that there's something beyond this current life or like a philosophy like Buddhism or like reincarnation or something that it's like, okay, once my finite experience in this human, this human experience is over, there's going to be something else after that. So that I might be able to proceed or go above something like family. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and you term whatever vernacular is used. I always like to tell people, it's like, pick a word, you know what it means? Like this is something for each individual, like whichever word actually excites you. But yeah, ultimately it's, you might even consolidate that to like a higher power, like having something above us that has compassion to help us. Like that's a pretty cool value right there. Where did I get that from? Okay. You start to identify where it comes from. And then, you know, where is that in ranking? It's like, if there is, if it's true, there's a higher power, which actually I'm just going to be afraid. There are higher powers. If somebody says there's no higher power, go stand out in the sun. Five ah, hours, yes. 13 hours. You tell me there's no higher power. Go hang out in the ocean. Just go ahead. Just keep swimming out. Tell me there's no higher power. Oh, you know, ocean's higher power. Sun's higher power. There's like, spend enough time. There's plenty of powers way higher than you. So ultimately, mm. if there are powers higher than us, we can understand there's, there's a top. You just follow that chain up. 
And it also, we can even get into at some point, but if there is consciousness, where is the source of consciousness? There must be some original source of consciousness, that source of consciousness. Anyway, we could get into it, but whatever that source of consciousness, the higher power is, must be, we call it triple OG, omniscient, omnibenevolent, and omnipotent, fully powerful, fully, fully loving, and uh, fully knowledgeable, know everything, full power, and full love, in which case, does that supersede a few years in this life uh, with family? Yeah. Like, is family still high? Yeah. But does that supersede it? Yeah, it does. Like, mm-hmm. that does not stop. So that's a great example of something higher. Whereas there might be something lower, too, where you figure out a value might be, um, oh, here, let's be controversial. Let's say something like volunteer work, like charitable work, which is like, okay, why do I, do, you know, these are the reasons why I feel, where I feel like I learned th- that this is important. And then where is that? Okay, it still might be higher on the list, but like, maybe it's, maybe it's higher than family for some people, but is it higher than I brought up, probably not. Hmm. Why? Because you're going to die. Like any second now, it could be in a day, in a year, in 10 years, in a hundred years, but like eventually the body's going to die. Therefore, it's better to spend your time doing, cultivating something that ain't going to die when this body leaves. So like that, you start to map out your values and prioritize them and you, it, it becomes very clear which ones are actually important. And that's always the first step in, in being able to actually change one's life. You have to know what you want and it has to right. be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of uh, um, different types of like philosophies or different types of um, I guess things that you can follow to change your life. It all starts with that um, self kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror and figuring out like, okay, what is actually me? What do I actually want? And what's been placed on me by society? And I was thinking about Kev, like you as a life coach, like that's how you start is like, what do I actually want? Like, what would I love as myself? And it's like, a lot of people don't even get a chance to ask themselves that because they're always go, go, go the world. We're always so connected. We're never taught to actually take a step back and ask ourselves, like, what are you really moving towards in this life? Why? And like, who put that there? Like, is this actually what you want? Because I feel like a lot of people will, will spend most of their life trying to get something and then they'll get there and they'll be like, wow, this isn't actually what I wanted at all. And so it seems like everyone's like, uh, philosophies for changing life starts with that really big piece of, all right, what do I actually want? Who am I actually? It's super important. Yeah. It's so easy to talk about these things with evolved entities like you both who are already dedicated your lives to not only improving your quality of life, but helping so many people do that. It's like, I I couldn't have said it any better myself, Chris. And, and I guess I had a question for you as well. You know, is there anything that you can help people with to get them to actually sit down and do that practice? Because a lot of times, like, you know, again, like as I was alluding to before, a lot of people are just go, go, go. Like people are like, I don't see a point in that. And you know, they they don't have time to slow down. So like when you're working with clients or you're working in groups, like how do you preface that and, and, and really hammer home the importance of like, or, or even, even if there's any practical tips that you give people like on a daily basis to be able to help them start to identify those things and like add that into their busy schedules, like that figuring out process. Absolutely. There's two practices. Uh, they, they go hand in hand, but the first thing, and I, I say this a little jokingly, but I'm actually not joking. It sounds funny, but it's actually completely true. And this is something one of, I would say my primary teacher in this life has uh, taught me. And that is when it comes to important things, sometimes you just got to lock yourself in a room and turn anything with an off switch 
off and sit down and you're not allowed to leave that room until the job has been completed. But you, you have to make a decision ultimately is, is this is a specific example of how to make a decision. Cause until you've actually made a decision, everything else is random after that. If you make a decision, everything is going to be, everything's going to move in, in that direction. Cause where attention goes, energy flows. Hmm. And so if you lock yourself in a room, step number one, <laughs> lock yourself in a room, claustrophobic, put a big room, no problem. Get just a piece of paper and a pen and just start to, and then you do the second step, which is you write down 20 things that you want. You write down 20 things that you want. I would suggest you do this every day until this becomes super easy. You'll find for most people, it's not very easy. I was going to say, yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I suggest process, yeah. Everyone just do like sit down and you're like, you can't move until you've written 20 things that you want and be as specific as physically possible. And then what happens is people go, what what the heck do I actually want? Because most of us have spent our whole life being told you can't have what you want from society. Mm. We're trained from a young age. Don't, don't want, don't want this. Don't want that. You can't have that. Too expensive. Yeah. (laughs) We can't afford it. List of excuses why you should not want or can't have what you want for sure. So sit down, lock yourself in a room, write down 20 things that you want. I suggest you do that every day, at least for a week, until you get to the place where you're like, oh, this is easy. I, I know like, on the top of my tip of my tongue, I, I tell you exactly what I want. This, I found this to be really challenging practice when I first started. It hmm. I was like, I don't know. And then what happens once you've done that, then, then you'll actually be able to see. You go back. You, the first step is you brainstorm. You just let it. Then you go back and you see like, what's what's a real want and what's not a real want some of them you'd be like actually i don't care about this but this i actually really want oh my god i want that some of them they might be should things you're like i should want that you cross that one out and like let's just get to the ones that you really want because we, according to the ancient yoga perspective we are souls we're eternal fully cognizant fully blissful souls the soul does one thing exclusively and that is desire its function is to serve but its uh, ability is to desire. Everyone wants something and everyone wants a lot of things actually. And our lives are built off of our desires because it's just like, you know, the game punch buggy, you're, you're driving through and there's like, whenever you see a buggy, you get to like punch your sibling or something. I'm assuming you guys are yes. each other a lot, right? <laughs> so, so the punch buggy. And what happens is all of a sudden you train your eyes to see the buggies, whatever Volkswagen buggies, whatever it is. You, all you do is you see the buggies. And wherever you're training your attention, you're going to see that thing. Or like when you get a new car, same thing. It's like now you see everyone else who has that same car. Wherever you're putting your attention, that's where the direction that you move in your life. So once you have a clear idea of what it is that you want, which will never come out of locking yourself in a room and writing it down, not stopping until it becomes natural, then you can actually see uh, what is it you're supposed to be doing in this life. Because you don't want things at random, actually. You know, and also there, there are other layers of this too. Cause once you've identified your wants, you can see some of them are actually needs. Mm. It's like, should you want a need? Yeah. But let's go deeper than that. This human life isn't just for basic four needs, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Like those are needs. Like you got, you got to eat, you got to sleep. You got to like have some practical management of your sexual energy and you got to make sure you're in a comfortable, safe environment. You got to have those basic needs of life, but you can do much more. The animals do those. That's all they're ever worried about. But we're not interested in just acting like animals. We want to get to our needs, get those taken care of. And then we get into the things we actually want, that which is greater. 
the ancient yoga literature is one of the most um, encapsulated ones. It's called the Vedanta Sutra, which really means like a code of, of knowledge. It's just a book of aphorisms, it's little short aphorisms. And the first one is Atato Brahma Jigyasa, which literally in Sanskrit, Atta, Atta. Atta means now, and Atato means like now, now. It means like right now. Brahma means like that, that which is spiritual, and Jigyasa means to inquire. Gya, like Jnana, we've heard this word spelled Jn, Jnana. It's, it comes from the Greek Gnosis, which comes from the sans, uh, or excuse me, Jnana eventually went into the ancient Greek language to become gnosis, which now we have as knowledge, just interesting kind of etymological breakdown. Um, means to inquire or to ask about. And that means now that you're in a human form, right now, now that you're in a human form, which means you're reading this, it's time to inquire about that which is spiritual or beyond the basic needs. Beautiful. I'd just like to go, I would like to hear more about that because I noticed um, as you were sharing, just to back up just a little bit, um, and you use some of these examples of like, all right, what do you really want? And I, I, you were going through like, oh, we're told like from a very young age, like you can't, you shouldn't, all that. I also mentioned like, oh, you can't afford it. Because like, I'd love to hear your point of view with like, because some people, I find this in my own life too. It's like some things I want that maybe some things need, of course, of like shelter, even like safety. Um, it requires, say, like money or material things. Like, how does that, I'd love to hear your point of view of the, the conjunction of that, of what is spiritual, but then also how that shows up in material and how you navigate that. Because I found that not only in my, my life, but people I work with and just seeing, just looking around you for just a minute, you could see that material form gets a lot of bad rap, but also they're seeing things that we do want that actually is like a real true desire. So I would love to hear your point of view on that. Absolutely. So there's two or three points that I think to kind of preface to, to be able to make full sense of that. So the first thing to acknowledge is that there are unlimited resources. Like we have to start with an understanding of what resources are. And according to the ancient literature, there's six primary opulences or, or resources. There's uh, fame, beauty, knowledge, strength, renunciation, and uh, wealth. These are resources that an opulence is that anyone who carries any, any extent of these uh, is attractive. It's what people consider to be like, uh, uh, literally not, not necessarily like attractive and like, a, oh, I'm sexually attractive, but it, it attracts, it attracts. These opulences are fully manifest in divinity and therefore they are, and divinity has no shortage. Wealth, by the way, in case you guys are wondering, I know you know this, but everyone listening. Um, you mean the infinite is actually infinite? That's right. The absolute <laughs> is absolute. Yes. Right. The unlimited is unlimited. Exactly. And so there's no shortage of, of um, opulence or, or wealth in this, in this world and in this universe. And how do we know that? Because the source of the wealth is unlimited. And therefore there is no, we learn economics class. It's like supply and demand. There's only scarcity. There's not enough. That's wrong. Like you're, lo- you, you're just looking this far in front of you. Right. It's like a child who's like, you know, there's like chill, little baby gates they put up so they, and the child says, see, this is the end of the world here. See, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's the end of the world. No, I just moved the gate. Oh my God, there's all house here. <laughs> That's my crib. There is no scarcity. Scarcity is a perception that we choose to agree to. We've opted into societally. So that's number one. We have to understand there's no there's unlimited resources. 
and we need to understand they're connected to divinity. If everything comes from divinity, that means inevitably it's connected. The sun globe and the sun rays connected. One is the globe is the original, but then the rays are expansions of, therefore they're, they are um, intrinsically connected to. So right there, we have, we, we have to understand that it's not like it's matter and spirit. Spirit's original matter comes from spirit. Can matter be antagonistic to spiritual principles? Sure. Can a knife be used to kill someone? Sure. Can it be used as a surgeon to save someone's life? Sure. Are material things intrinsically good or bad? No. The way you use them is what makes them good or bad, which leads to the second point, which is things aren't necessarily, uh, uh, yeah, I even hate the word good or bad. It's like so subjective. It's like, what the heck does that even mean? But right. they're not antagonistic or protagonistic to one's spiritual life. It's how you utilize them. So there's a concept that in, in bhakti, bhakti yoga, that's taught is yukta vairagya. Vairagya means to renounce. And usually when we think to give up or to renounce, to reject, it means like you get rid of it. But actually, yukta, which is the same, uh, it's in English, we get the word yoke, which is actually where the same word yoga comes from, uh, or excuse me, yoke is where what comes from the same root, huge in Sanskrit, which becomes yukta or yoga, and, and many other uh, expansions of this original uh, root, which is huge. Yukta vairagya means to, yuk means to engage or to uh, unite, to unite something. We don't want to just vairagya reject and get rid of everything and move to the mountains and pretend it just doesn't work. Good luck. You want to do that? Wish you the best luck. Have fun. We want to yukta. We want to engage everything in, in um, renunciation, which means it's not for us. We use it for service. Therefore, like, does this microphone cost money? Yeah, it costs money. This laptop costs money. Yeah, does this phone does. Yeah. So better don't use it for you then. Use it in service. Use it in, in, in a way that will actually impact others' lives beneficially. The life that will change it. So, in terms of specifically using money, we want to have the ideal, the ideal to know. I want to work into a direction where I am not lusting after resources because that's not 100% of people know money ain't going to get you happiness. Now, whether it's realized or not, at least they know. They've heard enough people with enough money that say, oh, yeah, but still there's like a lust. Ooh, money. We have to understand the ideal that, okay, this isn't going to bring me happiness. But we could still move after it in the name of service. And you, as long as we're using it for service, we're using it in a way that's actually going to uh, change other people's lives. Then that thing that, would, that could otherwise, that knife that could be used to kill someone, could actually be used to save someone's life. So it's, it depends on how you utilize the material resources to see if they're actually going to be good or bad, and then how to reconcile them. Does, mm. does that make sense? I mean, there's much yeah. more I could say, but in, in yes. short. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of spiritual texts get misinterpreted when it comes to that fact of um, wealth and material possessions. Because I was I was thinking about you know the Bible and like Jesus talks a lot in a few passages about the rich and how there will be the they will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And what he's really talking about is that the wealth has corrupted them, like what they're feeling in their hearts towards the wealth. It's like they're placing that above the source. And so it's like, you can have both. It's just, you have to be very careful about what you actually feel in your heart towards these things. And that kind of sounds like what you were explaining it, how you were explaining it about these the, the material things. It's how you use them. It's how you feel in your heart towards them, whether it's going to be to like hoard them and use them for bad purposes or actually use them for good and, and use them for the benefit of others. 
And, you know, when you, when you have the, the latter mentality, like that's usually what tends to multiply it for you as well, because source is like, Hey, this person's being a good conduit of this energy. Exactly. Let's give him more so that he can produce more and give more to others. So it kind of works that way. And, and I think a lot of people today's day and age have it backwards. Cause we're not taught that way. We're like, Oh, once I have things, then I will do. It's like, it's very, very hard for like to understand that as like a human, when you're like physical and you're like, Oh, like I need to have the things first instead of having them in spirit first. So it's like, it touches on that whole thing. Yeah. I always like to say opulence amplifies your mindset. It's like money. Money doesn't make someone good or bad. You know, money has nothing to do with if someone's good or bad or, or in terms of if they are actually in service or out of service, you know, for, for in service of gratitude or um, entitlement, take it for oneself. It simply amplifies that. If you're greedy, money is going to make you more greedy. If you're of service, money is going to help you serve more. It has nothing. To, it was money was never meant to make one happy anyway. People say it doesn't make it. Yeah, that's not what it's there for. It's there to amplify. is there to amplify who you actually are. And as you mentioned, spiritual the spiritual text could be interpreted in really weird ways. The way I found to be the most uh, common is people mistake renunciation for poverty. Yes. It's yes. Like, Rather than getting renounced, where you're teaching yourself to be detached through knowledge, you teach yourself how to be more aloof and detached from matter. It's just you reject it and and, and uh, cut yourself out of it all. Can I tell you guys an embarrassing and kind of vulnerable story? Or it, if you want. All your listeners, you're going to... I'm going to embarrass myself here, okay? So, well, it's in service, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, well, so, you know, I was as a monk for five years. I didn't have anything. I mean, we had literally had, we just wore robes and it, it, it's just unstitched cloth. It's literally just cloth that you kind of tie like these cool yogi pants and then wrap yourself with the top. Uh, we'll, we'll send you some pictures and show notes. So just like, it's like far out. You just wear, you wrap yourself. And I didn't have to do much with my hair, dude. Just once a week, you just shave <laughs> and you just have one color you wear, which is orange. You don't have to wake up in the morning and figure out what shirt I want to put on. You just grab your robe. Uh, one size fits all. And so after years of not having anything, you know, sleep on the floor, very simple, happy life. It wasn't actually, people are like, oh, it's miserable. I'm like, no, it's pretty cool. It's like a spiritual frat house. It's actually fantastic. Uh, it's a little austere at times, but so much happiness comes with it. And when I graduated, I thought, wow, just look at me, so much knowledge now. Aha, this is great. It's going to be so easy for me to integrate into the real world. Oh my God, no, it wasn't. It was like a, doing a 180 shift. It's like, what do you do? Like, what do I do in this big, scary place of the world? And, and ultimately, I, I had to get quite humbled because when I started to work, I thought, I'm just going to serve. And people give me donations and I'll just make that work. And I was pretty much running around the world like a headless chicken for about two years. Just make like so below the poverty line. <laughs> like my poor, eventually I got introduced to my now wife of, uh, you know, been together for over six years. And, um bless her heart. She's just like, we're like rationing zucchinis, like, like in a, like, like literally in a garden level apartment that was just like rationing zucchinis just to like, in the name of service. And like our health was just being deteriorated. It was miserable. And in the name of service, you know, in the name of service, like rationing my zucchinis, not eating enough at times. And I got quite humbled realizing, okay, this is not going to work. And I, and as I started hiring coaches, I realized, oh, something's going to change. Like I suck with money. I like, 
I'm like preaching this idea that like there's abundance, like spirit takes care. But like at the same time, I'm like, no, for me, like I can't charge. Mm-hmm. I'm a good. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, I need a little help with this. And I, as I was hiring coaches and whatnot, it was so humbling. They were like, all right, Mr. Uh, renounced, like you say you're renounced, but you're, you're completely rejecting all the opulence that's available, that, that, you know, divinity is trying to send your way to help you help others. Like you're just, reje- I'm just like rejecting the money. Back. No, I don't charge. I don't need the money. I can make it work. No, I couldn't. No, mm-hmm. you can't. No, you can't. You can't do that. If you want to do that, don't become a householder. Go to the mountains, become a monk in the cave. No problem. But if you want to enjoy in this world, take some resources. And so like that, what, you know, what happened was as I figured out, I, the more I monetize my services and charging people, for actually training their mind. And also sciences we learned called Ayurveda, which is the ancient holistic science of health. And there's Vedic astrology and so many other th- traditional sciences that are there. But and I started monetizing them. I thought, I realized, oh my God, these people are like actually paying attention and actually their life's being changed. Before people were just like, yeah, I'll come. Maybe I'll pay attention. Maybe I'll do that. But all of a sudden the money started holding them accountable. And if you want to know what somebody really values, look how they spend their money and their time. Someone, mm-hmm. it's, it's just people say, I value this. I value that. Do it. Let me, let me see what your, uh, show me your bank statements and show me your uh, schedule. Yep. Let's see what you actually value. And like that, I, 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 I had to be quite humbled and, and totally change my vision. Actually, not even change. I just had to reconnect that money component back into the real understanding. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Speaking my language right there, because <laughs> the thing that uh, I often say for myself or to keep in my mind, but then if I'm coaching clients and they have that kind of block, I say to them, well, think of the phrase we use in the English language, pay attention. When you pay for something, you're going to pay much more attention when you've invested energy in the form of money into that. So it's, it it just, it connects it naturally. Absolutely. Yeah. And my experience too, is after teaching for years, a few years, like monetizing my holistic brand services. And as I, figure out how to very easily sustainably grow my business. So you know, first, like I never, I always thought like, if I get 50,000 a year, wow. And I was like, and I hit like six years, I was like, wow. And I hit multiple, I was like, wow. And like this, as I started expanding, I realized, wait a second, everyone else needs help doing this too. Like mm-hmm. every spiritualist, like other coach I was like interacting with was also stuck with that same, like, f- you know, fear, like confidence to charge for the services. So that's when I actually made that pivot to actually helping coaches grow to multiple six figures and beyond like that because it's almost like the health makes sense like people are like yeah i get it like i need to upgrade my health and my mindset that makes sense and the money it's like i'll make it work i'll make it work <laughs> yes and i'm like and you know and then and really getting to people's minds and like showing them that like, i actually don't care but we don't care so much about money spiritual but it's important we you need it you need it to survive and getting into people's minds and helping them re-understand money and actually charge for their services and like package their offers in a way they could actually change someone's life and not just kind of go off off the cuff, if you will. I found that to be far more revolutionary for people. Like mm. teach them actually how to have a healthy relationship with money and start to make a lot of money. Cause then they're, you know, and it's like there's nothing more satisfying when you're like, yeah, I just gave hundreds of let's say a few thousand dollars to charity or tens of thousands. Yeah. It's like to something that means so much to you, like. Talk about satisfying, mm-hmm. you know, and and I found that that's even more revolutionary than just the health or the meditation right. or the mindset, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. My mentor I work with, she often says that when you get really connected with what you would love, 
your dream. And in particular to say in this more material sense of what you'd love to earn and receive, it's really not about like what you get, but it's really about what you then can give more of. And that, I think that especially for our audience and obviously us three, like our conversation, like, like you said, like that's what matters actually the most. And when you actually start to receive more, you can that actually give more. And then when you have that focus, it's like, oh my gosh, I want earn, I want more so I can give more. It's beautiful. Amen. Amen. Well, one th- one thing I think it would be helpful too is uh, to give people the. I, I want to at least briefly mention the second and third step of the monk mindset. Please do. Yes. So that people, my hope is that everyone listening to this, the worst case scenario is you know what to do. The best case scenario is you do it, and right. at least like make your life a little bit easier in one way. So once you've identified your values, then the next step is you create what we call your claims. So we already talked a little bit about how to get in touch with what it is that you want. But the next step is you turn what you want into something you're actually going to claim. What is the destination is? What would it look like if there wasn't space between you and that thing? An example is people all the time, you know, might say something like, I want to be healthier. I want to make more. What the hell does that mean? Do you know? Most people are like, I don't know. How much weight? Like, what is your idea of weight? Like, Like, what does that mean? Is it just the weight? Do you want to like improve? Like, what does that look like? And so rather than saying, I want a lot of money, let's get really specific. Or even worse, it's, it's like, I want to be out of debt. It's like, well, what it is you do want? So what you do is you create a claim from a desire, from a want. And the ways you do that is you turn it into the positive. Rather than saying what you don't want, say what you do want. And the number two is get really specific on it. Okay, I, want, I don't want to be out of debt. What do you want? More money. How much money? 100000 a year. Great. What would that look like? I make $100,000 a year. You turn it into the claim version, the affirmation-like version, not as a fake it till you make it, not saying, not just shouting it out loud and hoping it manifests, but that's the first step. You should also shout it out. Actually, that's helpful. But (laughs) the first step is you just identify the claim, the destination, so you know what it looks like. Like a pilot who, they know this. You can't think in the negative. Here's an example. Everyone, don't think of a banana. Okay. Now, don't think of a camel. Can't do it. The mind doesn't work in negatives. You have to know what it is that you want to focus on. And pilots, they're always trained to look at the goal. If they look at the, the uh, um, obstacles, they'll hit the obstacles every time. You got to know the goal, the, the, the you claim that actual end destination. And then once you've done that, the third step, and again, don't mind the oversimplification, but the third step is you have to identify the behaviors and the habits that right. will inevitably get you to that destination. And you write them down. You say, okay, what is it I need to do on a daily or regular basis that will inevitably get me to that place? And the first step is just go through and you'll be, you guys, not, not you two, you guys are already masters in this, but everyone listening, you guys will be able to do this. Like most of them will come easy. The ones that don't, then you figure out, now you know what to learn. Now you know where to find it. Nowadays, you could Google a lot of it. You get a coach, you get a teacher, whatever it might be. You figure out how to, if you don't know how to get from where you're at to where you want to be, find someone that can give you the steps to do that. And ultimately those steps are habits. You know, if your goal is you want to lose 20 pounds, which actually I would say more like you want to weigh X amount with X amount of body mass or or muscle mass, whatever the case might be, you can get really specific on that. Then it's like, what do I need to do? Okay. I need to do resistance training three times a week, your cardio three times a week and this for this long. And this is what I need to do. And this is how long I need to do it for until I can hit that goal. Great. Now you have a plan. Now all it takes is, uh, it's like the secret fourth step, which is you got to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discipline. <clears throat> but those are the three steps primarily. And I hope, I hope that that's, you guys are already experts in this. And, and I'm sure many of your listeners are becoming experts, if not already. But I hope that this additional tool can be used to make sure that everyone knows there's always an option. The mind wants to wants to play the victim and say blame. See, I can't because blank. No, you can. You actually can. If you break it down really simply, this is what this is what what's important to you. This is what you claim, and this is how you do it. It's like it's just a matter of time now. You should be patient. Right. It'll hit everything. It'll hit all the goals that you want. It's just a matter of time. It's beautiful. I love the simplicity of that, and I think the I'm really glad you brought up that last point of like the mind will play tricks on you or try to tell you that you can't, but that's literally just the mind's job of keeping you safe mm-hmm. so that you're staying in a comfort zone that you know, but in order to actually actually have those things that you want in life, you have to go beyond the quote unquote comfort zone. It's a little uncertain. The mind will start to speak to you, but you stay connected with what everything you literally just said. Like you said, it's inevitable, really. It's so simple, but it's actually a matter of actually just applying it or doing the work of that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Can't fight you on that. So, right. So actually, if you could share one final thing, because I, I think uh, and I think this would be a perfect segue into sharing where people can find you and work with you or learn more from you. But you speak about falling in love with those daily habits of that third step. If you can could j- just give like a quick tip on that. And then again, like, of course, like, because if anyone wants to actually develop that, I'm sure that you offer your services that can help people in that process of falling in love. Yeah, we have lots of free resources trying to just um, throw this out to anyone who, who will buy it. And so in a minute, I could share how to get all those free resources. But uh, the simplest way I would put it, and now I, I should I should preface by saying in order to do that, it, it takes a particular paradigm shift. It actually right. takes some training how to perceive, first of all, how to know who you actually are as an individual, what your dharma is, your purpose in this life. But it takes a little bit of my, where the actual mindset shift happens to be able to fall in love. And, and, you know, so there's various mechanism we use to actually create that shift. But the simplest way I would, I would encapsulate that would be every time you think about the practices, like once you've broken down, like what are the things I got to do on a daily, regular basis to actually to get myself towards these goals? Remind yourself that if you can't fall in love with the practice, the goal is not actually going to provide you happiness mm. because, because again, goals, they're, they're rarely one off. It's not like you hit something and you're forever done with that thing and you leave it. Like if that's the case why are you even spent, why do you want to just hit something and then move on? No, the goals in our life that are important, the things we want to actually plan to do pretty much for the rest of our life and just keep growing and growing and growing and keep hitting mile marks towards the ideal end of that thing that we want. If that makes sense. So remind yourself that true satisfaction will come from, doing those practices and and teaching yourself to understand that those practices are only achievable, or excuse me, those goals are only achievable through said practices. And every time you do it, remind yourself, this is the most important thing I can do to hit the thing that I want. The thing that I want will not even provide me happiness if I can't enjoy it at this point. And like that, you just, you start to, you start to allow the mind to get comfortable. You're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is actually good. This is good. Like this actually is something I do want to do. Because otherwise we've trained our mind, we don't want it. But if you could simply on a daily basis or whenever you're doing it, just remind yourself before you do it, set that intention. Like, this is actually what I want. Like, this is the thing that's going to bring me happiness. If you do that long enough and it still doesn't bring you happiness, you're probably doing the right thing. And you change it up then. You go back to the start. Yeah, exactly. 
literally. Yeah. Or yes, definitely you get better dessert, but it's it's more of like now you know, like, okay, actually that's not my ladder to climb. I climbed right. it, that one's done. What did I learn from that? Okay. Now and you know, now you're like starting from a new Mario. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're more aware, but like I was saying, like in terms of like that stepwise process, yeah. like, all right, what do I really want? Like going back to that again of yes. like but from a new awareness for sure. I always like to say the worst case is you'll come right back to where you are now. Worst case scenario. Right. Absolutely. Like, what, what do you got to lose? You just come right back to where you are now. You're already here. What's the worst yep. case? Come right back. Exactly. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that briefly. And I know there's so much more depth to that. I appreciate your preface on that too, because it really is a paradigm shift and it takes time. It's not like, all right, just snap out of the fingers and just thinking that way. And it's good, but it's a really great stepping plate, stepping point for people to work with. Hmm. So thank you. Well, thank you guys for creating an actual platform that people can come and nourish themselves. And, you know, as, as I was saying, when we first logged on your podcast makes perfect sense because I would like to say it ain't spiritual if it ain't scientific. And, uh, and I'm always grateful for those like yourself who are consistently putting out content that actually changes people's lives. It's, it's, it's easy to start something. It's easy to end something. It's hard to maintain something in this world. Uh, but you guys are maintaining it. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to come and uh, support the amazing project that you guys are doing. Thank you. Appreciate and, that. Yeah. And appreciate it. And I'm so thrilled that you were here uh, to share your wisdom, share your gift, share your love and just your energy. So I know that uh, our listeners are going to get a ton out of this because I already feel like I did as well, even yeah. though it's like simple things to apply, but I love your stories and how you break things down. And so thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Grateful to be here. And yeah, and if anyone wants the information, we, we've got, we, we're, we're trying to inundate you with free stuff to get you so, so that the mind can fight as little as possible. And if you guys mm. want, we've just got tons of information and, and tons of worksheets and workbooks that we use. And uh, the best thing to do is just drop us an email at info at madu.life. That's I-N-F-O at M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. Again, it's info at M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. Or if that's even too hard and you're lazy like me, you don't even want to do that, just go to any of our social medias, which is madu.life, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. And just drop us a DM and someone on my team will go in and just, you know, if you say, hey, give me some monk mindset tips, something like that, we'll send you all the workbooks to uh, really make your life easier. Really make your life easier. It's our pleasure. Excellent. Well, yeah, we'll include those links and then the tags and all that in the description of this episode. So if you're listening and that resonates, you can go find that information all written out for you in the description and you can connect with Motto and his team. Thank you guys. Very grateful. Well, thank you. And everyone listening, all you got to do is not stop listening to these guys and life will become easier and easier. Appreciate that, man. Well, thank you for being here again and uh, talk soon. That's it for today. So thanks for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. So any questions, any comments, connect with us on Instagram personally at Kevin F. Carton or at Chris J. Carton or our podcast Instagram page at Science and Spirituality Podcast. And if you feel guided to, the one thing that we do ask is for you to please rate the podcast and also leave a review. This way we can reach more people and in that way impact more lives. So with that, we'll see you on the next episode.